Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Inside Job with your hosts, Jess and John. Welcome back, everybody, to The Inside Job. This is episode seven. We are here with Nick Marion. I am here with my co-host, Jessica. Jessica, how are you? Feeling good today. I'm really excited for this podcast specifically. Not that the other ones weren't exciting. They were all very great. But I'm very excited to talk to Nick Marion today. And just to give you a little background on Nick, he has uh, many accolades and many degrees and certifications, but just to name a few, he is currently pursuing his PhD in human performance. He has his master's in physical education, his bachelor's in health and wellness with an emphasis on sports nutrition. He is NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist certified. I can go on and on, but I'm going to let Nick introduce more about himself. So Nick, now is the chance to brag about yourself. What gives you the right to be on this podcast today? What are you going to be speaking about? Tell us everything. Uh, I'm old, basically. So it just comes with <laughs> age. Too, you just start throwing letters at your name when you get to a certain age. Um, let's see. So where do we start? So who am I? Uh, again, you guys already introduced me, but I'm from Arizona originally. I am a Arizona transplant. Nice. And uh, I've been out here for, this is my 10th year, actually, 10th year anniversary. So I moved out here in 2011. But prior to that, um, <clears throat> you know, I started out as a personal trainer, just like everyone else, you know, um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, no experience, and just was, um, you know, looking to become a trainer. And I started out working at LA Fitness, like in 2003, I believe, which is quite a while ago. Um, and just worked my way up through the ranks, just like you know many trainers do. Um, learned the corporate system, how to sell, how to prospect, how to have clients, yada, yada. And then worked my way up into management, where I started to be a general manager at a LA Fitness for a couple of years. Got burned out doing that, which just took too many hours. Good pay, but just too many hours. I didn't like it anymore. So I transitioned into training at a private facility, um, working strength conditioning with pro athletes and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. And then actually I segued from that into my own business. I said, I can do this a little bit better than this guy. He wasn't really paying me that great, at least what I was worth. And so I started my own business and partnered with some guys in Tempe. Shout out to Pro Fitness, by the way. Um, also, shout out to, let me backtrack, shout out to Will Being and you for setting this up. So, Thank you, Nick. Yeah, this is great to be on here, actually. So anyways, thanks for having me. Of course. Happy to have um, you. But um, yeah, so to continuing down that path, um, I was uh, basically an independent contractor slash gym owner for the better half of 10 years. And um, I would always come to San Diego mm-hmm. for maybe three or four times a year. And yeah. finally, I, we rented this beach house in Mission Beach, and I had a friend, one of my best friends, Andrew, would be like why don't you just move here already and get it over with? And so that just kind of like light bulb moment, like, yeah, you know, I kind of hate Arizona. So it's too hot and (laughs) boring. I've been everywhere. I've done everything and blah, blah, blah. And so. Yeah, I definitely relate to that being from Arizona. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. You just make the the jump. It was scary. You got to do it. You got to do it. So worth it. I'm like, were you like me where I had a U-Haul? I probably had like one of the medium-sized U-Hauls with all my crap in it. Uh Okay. And I moved out here and I didn't know where I was going to live. So my uncle lives out here as well. And I said, can I just stay with you? for a couple months till I figure out the lay of the land and what I want to do. And it turned out to be a month. We almost killed each other. <laughs> and so all the stuff that I had is probably still in his garage. And so I just end up living in furnished places for the better half of six years because mm-hmm. I just didn't want to 
taking that stuff with me. So it's probably still in his garage to this day. That's a nice uncle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He probably sold it. Who knows? Yeah. Threw it away. I don't know. Profiting but, off his nephew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, transitioning to here now, then I, I again, I, I worked here my first year just trying to figure out San Diego market and because I had Arizona dialed in pretty well. We had a really successful gym there. It was independent contractor's gym, 70-30 mm-hmm. split. We had like 40 or 50 trainers coming through there. So we were wow. making great money. Uh, that was in the, the, the golden era, I call it, of training where you didn't have what you have nowadays where you had, um, you know, you got spin classes now and Orange Theories and F45s and all this stuff. Our private gym was all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We had guys who were great at the niche markets, and they brought all those members into our gym, So, which was, it was unbelievable. So anyways, um, coming out here, figuring out San Diego market was a little challenging just because it's drastically different. Mm-hmm. So I worked at a private gym in La Jolla called Excel Sport and Therapy for about a year and a half, and I also worked up in Rancho Bernardo at uh, another gym there. We were just trying to figure out what to do. And so I had savings, but uh, they were running a little thin just because here is, uh, yeah. it's expensive. It is. And um, anyways, I had a really, really rich client in Rancho Bernardo. And I said, listen, I need some money. I need a private loan. I have a business plan. I'll pay you back. And that's what I knew I, need, I, I needed to live here because I was on the fence. Like after a year, like, I don't know, this is for me. It's expensive. It's challenging, blah, blah, blah. And I was questioning my my move. Mm-hmm. And so I had an opportunity to move back to Arizona actually and partner with another guy. But I said, you know, I'm gonna take a risk. And I asked this client, loan me 50 grand. And she wrote me a check the same day. And I nice. was like, okay, now I know that there's real money out here. Let me go. Let me, let me figure it out. So again, I took a huge risk, put that 50,000 into a gym that I owned downtown. I had a gym for two years downtown off a of 10th and B. It was called Urban Athletica. It was a private gym. Not a lot of fancy equipment in there, just good training. We had Group X, we had private training and stuff like that. And so I opened that up for two years and it sucked just because, not because of training clients, it was impossible to make money. I mean, from all the variables, no parking, and we had homeless guys destroying all of our signs and it was hard for people to get into the building. And so I was just like, man, this is this is tough. I, I'm coming from making, profiting off of training to basically breaking even. Even though you make a hundred grand a year, you make you're you're, you're netting zero basically. Mm-hmm. So it was tough. Um, while I was doing that, a friend of mine was a teacher at a school here called NPTI, National Personal Training Institute. And he said, "Hey, I am moving. My my wife has gotten accepted to a PhD in Alabama, and we have to move. Do you are you interested in training or teaching?" I said, "I don't know." So I interviewed for the job. They said. We'd love to have you teach if you want. So I started shadowing and kind of just fell into this position. At first, it was like, if you've seen um, uh, Dangerous Minds with, um, uh, what's her name? Meryl Streep? No, not Meryl Streep. Is it Meryl Streep? Dangerous I'm so Mind. bad with Wait, Hollywood. Oh, yeah, no. That's I think like it's Meryl Streep. Yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, thank you. Yeah, it's like the, <laughs> the right. kids are just going you crazy. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> she was it's, really it's, famous. It's basically a, a school that's like basically run by the, the, the inmates, run mm-hmm. the prison kind of thing. And that's kind of how it was. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was doing that part-time while I owned mm-hmm. this gym. And so I ended up falling in love with teaching. And I uh, was doing still what I love to do, which is talking about health science and trying to get trainers to understand how they can make money and how this business is great if you want it to be. And so um, an opportunity came for me to get a full-time position there. 
And so I sold the gym that I had downtown to another trainer at the time and just took over teaching at the school mm-hmm. and was there for the better half of seven years. So I became their director of ed there. I wrote curriculum for them. Um, I taught NASM's curriculum, if you're familiar with NASM. No. They're corrective extras. So NASM is a it's National Academy of Sports Medicine. It's a okay. curriculum. Okay. And most gyms across the country, you'd say probably, it's the most recognizable certification Absolutely. you can get. Okay. So if you're a trainer and you want to get a job right away, you, you, go, you pursue that certification because okay. it's recognizable. Okay. So I was teaching that and teaching some other courses as well. And um, yeah, then I, I said, you know, I, want, I, I love teaching. So I went to grad mm-hmm. school to teach. I wanted to actually teach at a high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Point Loma Nazarene. Shout out to the Sea Lions. Nice. Um, went there and did some field work observations at high schools and just went to a handful of high schools. And I was like, I, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't work with high school kids. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, you know, just because God forbid you like, you know, you pat a kid on the shoulder. Good job, Billy. Yeah. I don't want to go down the, you know, accusational right. rabbit hole or, yep. Sorry, Billy. you know, I drop out <laughs> F-bomb here and there because I come from teaching mostly veterans at that that vocational school right. uh-huh. to then going to a formal high school. Yeah. I just didn't like the layout. So, um, you know, I renegotiated a salary with the, the personal training school. And uh, this is prior to COVID, like a year prior to COVID. Right. And uh, right before COVID happened, I had gotten a specialty in online course design for what, however the planets aligned. And I just knew COVID was going to shut everything down. Mm-hmm. So I created a whole online platform for all the, all the courses for the school nice. and kind of saved our jobs. Wow. And so I was doing that remote for the better half a year during the height of the pandemic, teaching day courses and night courses. And then, you know, you know, it just didn't work out with the school. I kind of got burnt out and they weren't really doing basically pulling their weight. Mm-hmm. And so an opportunity with Fit Athletic came up and I know, you know, Jordan, the general manager at the Little Italy location at the time, um, we reached out to each other and um, the rest is history. So, you know, I've been a fitness director at Fit um, for almost a year now. Now I'm the regional fitness director. So okay. I'm, you know, ha- helping all of the trainers at all the clubs, you know, become the best version of themselves mm-hmm. doing selling and obviously the service and all that stuff and the yeah. science behind it. But yeah, and I'm also pursuing my PhD in health and human performance. Like I'm, I'm, I'm attending Chicago, Concordia Chicago University, and I'm also going to do a half Ironman end of this month. So nice. wearing a lot of hats right now. Driven. Yeah, kind of busy, <laughs> but that's how I like to be. I'm so. going to back you up there, Nick, for just a moment. In terms of your PhD, what made you want to pursue further and higher education? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, after grad school, I was like, I'm never doing this again. It was mm-hmm. hard. It was a lot of reading and writing and just research and dealing with like doing my dis- like my thesis on, on actual research. It was difficult. Um, but when you get done, it's almost like if you've ever done something hard, you know, you're like, I want to do more. So yeah. it took me a few months to finally go, okay, like I want to do my doctoral studies now on something that's meaningful. So I'm still trying mm-hmm. to figure out what I want to do my dissertation on, but mm-hmm. Um, my thesis in grad school was the topic we're going to talk about today. Okay. So that's where it gives me a little bit of credibility there because I've done research on it. Right. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that. What are we talking about today, Nick? <laughs> so we're talking about changing people's behaviors, which is damn near impossible, right? As you guys mm-hmm. know, um, I put a post on my social media last week. It doesn't matter if you are a scientifically 
perfect or you are factually correct or you've got citations or you've got whatever, people are going to argue with you. It's just the way the world works and you mm -hmm. have to deal with that. And so this is where, especially nowadays, I'm sure you can attest to this, Jess, like if you've got information and you've got experience, people don't care. They're influenced by what they see and what and who they choose to believe over science. Mm -hmm. And that's just the world we live in, even with the how controversial vaccinations are to dieting principles, to even exercise. Um, so for me, I wanted to do an experiment on uh, low back injuries. And so I read a lot of, if you guys are familiar with Stu McGill, he's like the godfather of back research. So just cherry picking on a lot of his stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, what I did was all my students, actually, I was lucky to have an act like a cohort of students already. So it was pretty easy to get people for research. So if you guys ever want to do research on something, it can be quite difficult because you need participants. Mm -hmm. And then you need a certain amount to show significance. So I had 30 students who, who participated in a behavioral change program where it was basically, I, I created a software, almost like um, an online software like we use at the gyms called Trainerize, mm -hmm. okay? And so basically their workouts get deployed to them every single day. And we did a survey um, on their back injuries and the severity of it. And through education and tutorials, I gave them a, basically a program to do and follow. And then intermittently I would check and see if their back pain got better as, as we went on. But what I found was that they weren't continuously doing it if I wasn't constantly holding their hand or giving them information or educating them on something. So that's really what the, the, the behavioral change model is. It's called the stage of change in layman's terms, mm -hmm. but it's also called the trans-theoretical model. That's like the official name. Okay. One and more so, time for the listeners. So the trans-theoretical model. It's Thank basically you. transitioning your theory of how you choose to do things, mm -hmm. right? And that's based off of a behavioral change. So the first step in behavioral change How many is, steps are there, Nick? There's five. Five steps. Okay, and, and some people have added more, but traditionally there's five. Okay. So you have what's called the pre-contemplation, mm -hmm. the contemplation, okay? Then you've got the preparation, action, and maintenance. There's five. Okay. Okay? So with pre-contemplation, uh, and by the way, mind you, if you guys have any prompts or whatever, just let me know. Sure. Um, but the pre-contemplation is basically a, a, a thought or a stage where we're not thinking about anything. We don't care. We don't choose to care. We don't even know about it. For example, something that, you know, you learned yesterday that you didn't know. Now it's provoking a thought for you to pursue, you know, looking at other things or exploring it in a different way or having a different idea about something, mm -hmm. right? And that's, we're influenced by that with what? Politics, social media, YouTube, TV, commercials, movies, people that you look up to, right? I mean, I learned uh, this weekend, like, if you've ever, you know Bloodsport. Do you know the movie Bloodsport? No. With Jean-Claude Van Damme? Nope. I was devastated. <laughs> devastated. Okay? So the, the story of Bloodsport, okay? Jean-Claude Van Damme is like this, like, kickbox warrior guy, okay? And he fights in this thing called a kumite, and he, like, wins, but it's based off of a true story of a man named Frank Dukes, okay? And Frank Dukes is basically like this legendary like martial artist, okay? <clears throat> and then when I was a kid, I idolized Jean-Claude Van Damme. I idolized mm -hmm. this movie. I was like trying to be him. I tried to do the side splits and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what I learned watching this 
like documentary. I was in LA and this, uh, a, a buddy of mine has this West or this Hollywood insider thing and we watched it and it was a story about Frank Dukes and basically how he lied about everything. Oh. I was devastated. Have seen that? That's on Netflix or something? It's all, it was on a Hollywood insider, oh, oh, this episode. That. Oh, okay. And basically everything he had done or his, this whole life he had lived in reality was a fake. Mm. But again, and you're in the 80s, you don't, you, you don't have access to information like that. Right. Like you do now. You see everything through a lens, through a screen. You can't, I didn't see that as a kid. I was like, it destroyed me. And that's like what happens now when you have a certain thought or a belief or idea maybe your parents told you about mm-hmm. or they taught you over the course of time. You start to believe that idea so deeply that it's hard for you to change your behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. So this pre-contemplation, pre-contemplation stage, that has to do with the subconscious intake of information, right? Yeah. Well, you're just not thinking about anything right. until you have to. Right. And it's based how we change that behavior is through education mm. okay and so typically with a pre-contemplation the definition is that the, the the person isn't thinking about making a change at all they don't even care okay with, within a six-month range mm-hmm. okay that's like the definition so think about that when you go to the midwest like my fiance she's from west virginia okay and her whole family on that side she's probably gonna kill me if she hears this Uh-oh. they're not healthy they're not healthy. They're diabetic. They've got Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. heart disease, morbidly obese. And I go over there and, you know, I got my health mm-hmm. food and this and that. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But then you go to California. Yeah. It's the norm. It's the norm. <laughs> right. right. Ask for dressing on the side or fat free this <laughs> or mm-hmm. low cal that. They're mm-hmm. like, that doesn't exist here. Mm-hmm. So culturally, culturally, you have to change that. That's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. But again, the influence of what we go through every day is what? Political belief and social media. And it's what you choose to believe. And again, you know, how deep is that by how much are you being educated on that? If, you were, if I were to educate you on a topic every single day for the next 30 days with good information that you're receptive to, you're probably going to buy into it a lot more mm-hmm. versus maybe you're put off the first day. You don't even care anymore. So you're back to that pre-contemplation. That's the problem with the health industry is who do I believe? Right. How do I know that that's not going to change my life? Right. And that's the big focus for today because the inside job is a wellness podcast. We're going to be focusing on the application of this trans theoretical model and why this matters to everyone and why people should consider this extremely important. So we can all start to implement behavioral changes, whether that be the way you eat, relieving your pain, the amount of movement you incorporate into your day, maybe it's socially, emotionally, whatever that may be. This model, would you say, Nick, is applicable to anyone listening? Anyone, for anything, okay. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beauty is that we're talking about health and wellness here, which mm. is obviously the most controversial thing you can talk about, uh, especially nowadays. Right. Whereas before, you might have had a little more leeway. Ten years ago, my clients never questioned me, ever, mm-hmm. about anything. I, I was like a god. Yes. Eat one rice kernel. I'll do it. Now it's like, <laughs> does it have gluten in it? Because that could kill me. Does it have, is it keto? That could kill me. All right. Oh, vegan. Oh, that, everything can kill you now. There's basically. a lot. Of, there's too much. There's. It's not that it's too much information. It's that there's too much conflicting information, right? And that's where this whole factual thing comes in is, I saw this on social media and people take that as fact, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why this, how, you can't, how can you change a behavior then? Right. If so I told yes. you something yesterday, mm-hmm. he told you something the next day, and we both are very convincing. Who do you believe? Right. That's the hard part. 
Okay, so we're going to use this model today and as you take us through the steps to show everyone how they can implement this into their lives. So pre-contemplation. Pre-contemplation mm-hmm. would be a client, let's say, who yep. doesn't even know they're going to be a client yet, who decides that one day they're on the couch and they see someone healthy where they have that aha moment kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know you, you hear the stories, like all of a sudden one day it just clicked. Maybe you heard something, maybe you saw something, maybe someone said something to you to finally get you to start thinking about changing something. Okay. You allowed a new thought. Yeah, you allowed a new thought, Mm -hmm. but you were educated in some capacity. Okay. Okay. The beauty of a health coach is that that's what you are doing every single day, Mm -hmm. but you don't realize it, right? What do we look at on social media? All you see is smut. You see good looking people showing TNA you know, or some cool workout or whatever. And you know, they're, they're, all you see is skin. They're not really giving you anything. Mm-hmm. They're not telling you how they got there, right. what they did, how long it took, what the methods they used, because they're trying to peddle something else to you based off the same idea. Here, here, look at my nice body and take this pre-workout. You don't even take that pre-workout. So now I think if I took the pre-workout, yeah. now That's I start believing the pre-workout yeah. can work. And it worked on me, but you don't even do it. This is what health professionals don't understand is that mm-hmm. you have such a significant impact on people's lives, but you got to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And most people don't because, you know, we got to live, we got to survive. If I tell you, hey, I'm going to give you $2,000 a month to pedal my pre-workout, all you have to do is just show post once, once in a while, why wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. So now there's all this conflated information and now it's really difficult for people to make a decision because we're very difficult, at least nowadays, in my opinion, it's hard for people to make a decision on their own. Like if you choose to like not eat fries with your, with your meal, you're going to have 25 people ask you why. Is it a burger? Nick? Absolutely. Because I'm going to eat fries with my burger? Yes. <laughs> but if you don't eat fries, people go, well, why? Yeah, why aren't you eating it? fries? What's going on? Yeah, and that's the problem is I think people have lost a sense of autonomy with these decisions over their wellness. Mm-hmm. And if the education, if they had the proper education to empower them, we would gain way more of that back, right? right. But and that's the issue. Correct. So education is the step, first step in right. pre-contemplation to okay. get them into contemplating something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me now. Maybe I'll start considering that. Listen up, everyone. Step two, contemplation. Yeah. Step two now. Well, I have a question. So, like, for example, you're giving some training instruction. So where are you going to refer someone to if they have questions on, let's say, gluten, as you brought up, or carbs or keto or whatever else like that? Like, how are you going to help them make a decision that's best going to suit them for what they're trying to accomplish? Well, you need to give them educational content that is unbiased and that is proven by someone who did research on it versus mm-hmm. your opinion. Then you can say, listen, I have a totally unbiased approach to this, right? Because you'll say, well, I don't eat gluten because I legit have celiac disease. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so again, there's been research on celiac disease in a very small population of the world who has it. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who have a gluten sensitivity. That's a different, different topic. But again, they, what they don't tell you is context matters in all of this, meaning the, the poor fries are going to get the blame, but they're not going to blame the bacon, the cheese, the avocado, and the fat that was in the burger that you mm-hmm. just consumed. You just ate a gut bomb of fat, but yes. you're going to blame the bun. Bun has nothing to do with it. But people don't want to hear that because, again, some ripped guy on YouTube told them otherwise. And who's selling them a gluten-free product, by the way? 
that's what they want to believe. They don't believe you because you don't look like that. Right. You didn't, you didn't compel them enough to get them to go, okay, I will listen to you now. That's the hard part of our business. <clears throat> and they're convinced that the information you're giving them is accurate and it's backed by whatever. Then you get them to think about the contemplating stage where they're thinking about making a change now. Mm-hmm. For example, someone who comes into the gym, like I said, they were provoked or educated or something like that. For now, they come in and they are a gym goer. Right. Okay. But you never see them or talk to them. Now, what happens when I come and talk to you, Jess, about um, a question that I had? Like, hey, how do I, how do I lose weight? <clears throat> They're genuinely interested. They're contemplating losing more weight. But now you still, the second part in comp- contemplation is still education. Okay? You're still educating them. Now you're educating them because now they're actually listening to you on a specific topic. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then so again, infomercials are notorious for this. So again, if, you're an info, if you make them infomercial, what happens is that you then are now in the contemplation stage of buying it. Okay, now what's the person do? Pick up the phone, buy it now, do it. So that's kind of your job as the health coach or whatever is to now make them decide if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so any questions on that? So pre-contemplation, contemplation are kind of fall in line with each other. It's a constant educational process. Right. Thing. And this would be the first piece of where like your, your trainees or employees would come in and like this would be the first opportunity for them to, to get involved in this process. Absolutely. Step two. Absolutely. Okay. But if the education is not good, the content isn't delivered in a mm-hmm. right way. So even backtrack to both of these, there's a lot of context in these two. It's, it's how you deliver information as well. Mm-hmm. Because again, I can speak firsthand. I've been teaching for seven years and now this new role I'm in, if I'm not doing it in a right way, you guys aren't gonna listen to me. Right. You're not gonna listen to anything I have to say because I'm not doing it in a, in a proper way or a compelling enough way to convince you to buy into this idea. So pre-contemplation, contemplation are both based on educating the person to then now go to the third step, which is preparation. Mm-hmm. Now they are preparing to go into this whole new thing, which is like, for example, any type of personal training package you've ever sold or any type of new thing you've done. Think about it. <clears throat> what, what's something that new that you've explored in the last couple of years? Well, speaking of your half Ironman that you signed up for, I just signed up for a triathlon. Okay. It's in Napa Valley in April. I'm very excited. Very cool. So that my preparatory uh, stage is about to start. Yep. I've already pre-contemplated. I've I was contemplated. Say, now, why? Why did you decide to do it? I wanted something different from my normal routine. I've been more of a the strength and power athlete for quite some time, mm-hmm. and I've never done any kind of endurance event, and I wanted to try something different. And so the pre-contemplation was, you know, pe- knowing friends who do the sport. Yep. who are involved in you know triathlon, which is really common here, especially in North County, San Diego. My contemplation was gaining more education mm-hmm. on the distances, the sprint, the Olympic, the half, the, you know, the whole thing. And then my preparation, you know, ac- me actually booking this yep. is going to evoke this preparation stage. Well, now you're going to be in the action. So now, now you're I'm in action. I'm about to start the action. Right, you're about to start action. I feel like, me, yeah, me, me buying that ticket was the action start. Correct. Right, all right. Yep, so you're prepping and then you're in action and action could be a long time before you get to maintenance. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you, if you think about it, what's something that you're super interested in? Mm. Snowboarding. Okay. 
big one for me, yeah. Have you researched a bunch of stuff on snowboarding? Well, I just got my Icon Pass in the mail. Okay. Very excited about that. I have a yep. van that I'm supposed to pick up here in the next week. Four-wheel drive, sleep, camp, run out of that thing. So I'll be ready to rock and roll Okay. anywhere the snow's falling. It'll have a Wi-Fi booster for mobile podcasting. Whoa. <laughs> Fun. And I made sure my son had an Icon Pass as well. So uh, I can always she have can a, go with a travel buddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, which... Sure, Danielle would love to go too, but you know someone's got to hang out with Grace. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know everything about the snowboard? Uh, I know a fair amount. You know, I got in some new equipment. Yep. Some new outerwear this year. Now, why'd uh, you buy the new equipment? I've lost thirty-five pounds in the last two years. Oh, congratulations! From not drinking and taking action and exercising more and eating right, and so my old stuff didn't fit. Yep. And I just so happened to be at the right place at the right time with um, shout out to 686 and and they took care of me. So, okay. Um, yeah. So Very cool. I got, I got a new setup ready to rock and roll. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like what I'm getting at is like, I don't know how you guys think, but when I go do something, for example, um, it could be anything. Like I had a Jeep, I had a four door Jeep Wrangler before I went to grad school and I bought it like bare bones basic. Mm-hmm. I was so deeply immersed in Jeep Wrangler, mm-hmm. like the, the the whole book. How do you change this part out? How do you do this? How do you get better fuel economy? How do you do that? But it was a constant learning, and I was so immersed in this Jeep, okay? Because again, to provoke a thought, I have a friend back home, he has an awesome four-door Jeep, and I was like, I want that Jeep. Yeah. I would, didn't even think about having a Jeep like that, but I wanted it. So that, what I'm getting is that's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. But if I were just to have the Jeep and drive it and be happy with it, then it, again, I'm okay there. But you have to have a constant learning to keep your behavior change intact to where you get to the maintenance now and you've kind of already gone through it, if that makes sense. Like with triathlons, a great example. I train with, with guys already who are like, they will run you rampant and then they'll they'll cycle your you'll you'll be dead with these guys but it's like just another day for them mm-hmm. they're in a maintenance stage or i'm still in that action right yeah. and let's you know? go let's go back to that action nick because i want our listeners to figure out how they can implement these new right changes after they've already gone through the pre-contemplation contemplation stages sure. in preparation how what are the first steps in taking action at what point are you ready for action so let's back up to preparation okay because we didn't great. cover that that as much great so that in preparation now it's really up to them to take action first mm-hmm. um, but it's up to the influencer now to give them that push that they need to get ready okay so um, people who are prep preparing to make a change okay what they need is they need a constant reinforcement of the education that already had brought forward. And then it's a push. For example, snowboarding. I'm on the fence about snowboarding, but I saw you doing some snowboarding. It was really cool. And you convinced me to buy a board and get get the icon pass. I've never snowboarded a day in my life. So now I'm on this preparatory stage and I just need you to say, hey, like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Park City. I got a new mountain there. It's unbelievable. Right, let's go. Yeah. Have you been yet? <laughs> uh, I haven't been to the new mountain. So I've been to Park City, but I, did they come? They, they merged. The one next they merged door? those two. It was closed when we were there. We were there in the spring to get over. Yep. 
The tram was called. Yep, the, they merged the, the two, so it's this massive mountain. Which one? What's the other one called? Uh, I forget what it was called, but it's 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 pretty fun. Okay. I've done it three times, and it's unbelievable. All right. But I need you. I need mm-hmm. you as the coach, or you teaching me how to snowboard mm-hmm. to tell me you need to do this. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Now I'm ready to go and take the action. Okay. So it's yeah, I'm there. But now I need someone else to give me that last little push to get me into doing it. Mm -hmm. Because some people still, it was an idea or a thought, but they didn't do it. Right? Mm -hmm. I've had many clients actually do that. I'm like, okay, we're going to train for this 5K, 10K, half marathon, whatever. And they they back out. And I go, well, all the stuff we talked about and all the running you kind of started doing, and now you don't want to do it? Nope. It just starts to fade. Yeah. Now they go back to the old behaviors. So prep, uh, people in the preparation stage or even action are, are tempted to return to old ways. Okay? That makes sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's preparation. Now, action is obviously doing the work. Mm-hmm. Okay? And again, they're going to they're gonna be tempted to return to old ways. How many clients have you had who lost 10 pounds the first month and now month two... They plateaued, or they're just not gung ho like they were before. Probably a good thirty to fifty percent. Right, right, and mm-hmm. so that's, that's like the that's like they want to go back to that old behavior because that's they don't feel like they're worthy of their new body. They don't feel like they're worthy of their new results. They don't feel like they're they're worthy of staying at that position. Right, and that's where that also segues into a more of a maintenance thing. And so it's your job as the the coach to convince them through educating them more and more and more. And again, you're going to ebb and flow through this stage of change model throughout your whole life. Whereas, you know, I used to be a competitive bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. I used to do martial arts. I did boxing. Um, I've done a couple marathons. I've done Ragnar relay races, mm-hmm. half marathons, and now I'm in triathlon stuff. So fitness is very cyclical to me. It never stops. But what gets me jazzed about doing something new for my body Right. And I love triathlon. Now. I, like I'm, I'm obsessed with it just because of that. I think that's my yeah. new thing. I'm going to start looking at triathlons. So, yeah, because I'm right with you. Done the Ragnar, done the half marathons, and done the rim to rim to rim Grand Canyon. Okay, 46 miles in 17 hours, and like I could probably do it faster. Yep. <laughs> and it, but it's just like, and we've talked about this in episode one of like, like I, Nick, let's go run 10 miles right now. You're like, cool, let's go, or let's do what? And like you're. Your body's always ready. Feeling like, competent. That's just the way you live. Yep. Right? Yep. So that's, uh, yeah, I hear you. Okay, Nick. So for some, when somebody is ready, what should they do? What are the first steps they should take? Well. Look, like look for a coach. Find a coach, coach who will push them. Like what are your first steps that you would tell someone if they're ready to make this change? Well, Intangible. going back to the first two things is that are you, as the coach, putting out the right information to mm-hmm. get these people so you can actually meet with these people first. Because, again, that's that's the biggest problem, in my opinion, right now, is that trainers, coaches, whoever, just aren't putting out good information or it's very conflated or it's misinformation and to where now you might be attracting the wrong audience. And now they come in with these false expectations, right, to where, again, you have to dispel the myth, that's also part of the contemplation stage too. I forgot to mention that. Okay, false expectations, false things like, hey, Jessica, I, I, I heard that if I do the keto diet, I can lose a ton of weight. 
Yeah, there's some truth to that, but there's also a lot of misinformation there too. It's not just right. the keto diet. It's a combination of things that you have to look at. Well, but I, I follow this guy called Keto Carl on YouTube and he told me everything. Well, how long have you been watching Keto Carl? I don't know, like a year. I'm quote unquote, excuse my French, effed, mm -hmm. right? Why mm -hmm. is that? Because Keto Carl has been teaching this woman for the last year and she's been eating it up. Mm -hmm. And then here I come in with all my science knowledge and this and that. And she doesn't listen to anything I have to say because mm -hmm. she thinks I'm just trying to sell her training. Mm -hmm. That's right, so the context part. matters. Yeah. Context matters a lot. Right. So if you're, let's say, let's use you for example. Let's say you're putting out great information. It, there, it fits a theme to who you are, right? Like I'm going to do, <clears throat> for example, every, you know, when I would consult um, trainers outside of this business, they'd ask me, how do I get my business going? I said, start a social media campaign where you've got all your handles but the first step is an introduction who you are mm -hmm. what you're about where you're from what you're trying to do and then give them that first mm -hmm. and see what they do if they like it if you get views if you get likes whatever that means that your audience likes you and you're compelling mm -hmm. then go into whatever you're trying to get them to learn first which is Here's how you can do this step by step and you do a three or four video campaign and then it's on to the next one, three or four videos and you're showing examples and you're giving information that's supported by science-backed research. Mm -hmm. Someone who actually did a research on this, okay? Because what evidence do you have to support anything? It's anecdotal at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, how'd you lose weight? I just drank water. Yeah. Really? That's all I had to do? Yep. Just drink water. Cool. What happened? You'll pee your brains out and you might die from hyponatremia, but you'll lose weight. I know that. And people will go, okay, because they'll do that, right? But if you give them good information, now all of a sudden they're in this deep contemplation stage where now they're ready to meet with you. And then it's a lot easier process because now you've already done all the educating. That's why people follow people. Mm -hmm. Why do you follow anyone on social media? Because they're giving you good information. Right. I don't follow anybody who doesn't give me any good information. I don't want to see your body on social media all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that might happen, but I don't want to see that. I would mm -hmm. tell students all the time, I don't want to see you half naked on social media. That doesn't really drive me to want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Do you want to actually create a business for yourself? Or are you doing this just because it's something cool? Mm -hmm. You have to differentiate that. So Right. So to summarize, after you've after all of you have done your education on whatever endeavors you're about to begin, make sure you're finding credible sources of information, actual scientific credible sources on whatever you're about to do to start making those changes, right? So we need to make sure what the sources we're looking at isn't, we're not just using anecdotal, anecdotal evidence, which could be helpful, but it's not necessarily factual, right? It doesn't work for everyone. Find something that works for you that has rapport in that community. Right. And you'll, do you guys follow anyone who is a doctor or anyone who's influential like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you got Lane Norton. Yeah. If you follow Lane Norton, he's just the, one of the best at dispelling myths. He calls out people on their BS. Mm. You got Dr. Drew Nadolsky here. He's a local guy, doctor. He just puts out really funny memes about stuff that's actually true. Mm -hmm. And he's a doctor. He's a weight loss specialist. He has great information. And people, again, they've got a ton of following because the information they're putting out there matters. And it helps. Versus the person who's just kind of following what they've learned, right? Right. Like, go out there and just show your butt or your whatever. And so they're following it. They're following their own formula based off someone else who became successful doing that. Right. So the whole, this is a constant 
developing thing, we just don't see that. But this, this behavioral change is that this is how it works. And social media is really good at that because obviously people put out information. Right. Mm-hmm. So once people are taking action and they've started whatever they're starting for their new changes, how does maintenance work? Maintenance is, again, let's say you've had a client for five years. Are you doing hardcore fitness assessments with, with them anymore? Are you like yelling at them because they didn't eat properly anymore? Are you doing, are you having a specific program for them anymore? No, not really. It's more just like, can you show up twice a week now for the rest of your life and let me take you through workouts that I know will benefit you versus the college student, college athlete who might be here for two years and you're trying to teach them a proper way of programming, integrating nutritional concepts, understanding Mm -hmm. how to, you know, go through that whole periodized model where you've taught them those basics and now they've got that stuff forever. Right. Sense? That's where the maintenance is. And so once they've learned once they've learned all that, now it's just a matter of them maintaining that. But again, what do you always hear people? It's about life balance. It's about balance. It is because what we do is now let's say you're like obsessed with triathlon, right? Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you are now missing this piece too. And that behavior now, you're losing that. You're not maintaining that anymore because now you're over here. And so that's why we always struggle as a society because we're so bought into certain things. How do we balance it out? Right. Right. And balance is one of those kind of BS concepts because if if you prioritize anything, you can't be fully balanced, right? Something's going to outweigh and that's okay. But knowing that these things are cyclical and phasic and you will most likely circle back because there's some type of discrepancy or somewhere you fell behind a bit where you you know, you need to step it back up. Yep. That will come as you realize that you've put way too much weight on one thing. So that'll happen naturally, I think. And the extra stress added on that, like how do I get back here, is one of the first steps. Your body naturally obviously has stress to remind you that you need to be doing other things yep. or start acting more, right? So it's good natural stress. So Nick, circling back to how we can implement this trans theoretical model into, I'm gonna give a really simple example I think that will apply to most people. Sure. Someone who needs to get their nutrition on lock, right? Someone who is eating too many processed foods, eating too much sugar, drinking too much alcohol, not having enough micronutrients. I can go on and on, but you understand what I'm saying. Take us through the cycle for that to start, for them to make better changes behaviorally in the way they eat. Take us through the five steps. Well, so step one would be, do they have an idea about what they're trying to do? First of all, Mm -hmm. okay. Clear, defined goal. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to be really difficult first. Because, again, it, it could be how, how much knowledge do you even have on this topic. That's what I'll usually ask. Okay, what do you know and what do you want to know? And what have you learned, basically? And I try to, if it's, if it's correct, great, we can bypass some things. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, I'm going to have to go back to what we just talked about. I'm going to have to go back and disseminate or dispel myths or do all that stuff to get you to, like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Right? So that would right. be step one is looking at that. Okay. So let's say, for example, you have the average person come in through the gym and they're asking nutrition questions. Um, again, <clears throat> some trainers aren't qualified. So step one is do you have a, an RD? Are you a registered dietitian? Are you a nutritional specialist? Do you have all those things? So you can actually talk science to these people. And then what, is their, what does their idea look like? Are they uh, a keto person? Do they believe in that? Are they low-carb you know, or high carb, are they vegan, are they uh, carnivore diet, gluten-free, you name it. Now, how do I get them to just go to understand that all that stuff is, is comes into balance? Educate. And by the time you get them to understand all that stuff, 
now that hopefully you've given them enough information for them to make an informed decision based off of you giving them the nod now. If that makes sense. Right. And then after that, it's, it's the coaching is what keeps them coming back. But you have to constantly give them the proper information while you're training them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. If you guys ever learned from someone significant, like a college professor or something like that, you distinctly remember. Right. I can't name any of my college professors except one. Only one. Mm-hmm. Well, at least in undergrad. I have one main one, too. It's funny how that works, right? My Fabio Camano, my exercise physiology teacher. But so if someone doesn't have a coach or a trainer and they're ready for their preparation stage, how do they do this on their own? Well, if, if they're not, if they either can't afford, they that's not the route they want to go. Well, again, um, if they're seeking out coaching, again, it's 2021. There are many, many ways to do it very cheap. And that's right. through YouTubes. Mm-hmm. That's through online platforms. Mm-hmm. That's through all, that's why they were created. Right. Because I can now have 50 clients at $100 a month versus five at whatever. So that's where that comes in. It's affordable. But again, <clears throat> are you... Are you giving them the right information to get them to that point? Mm-hmm. That's the difficult part. So, I mean, again, when people come in through fit is a great example, is what are they looking to do? You know, we had a woman come in last month who was totally like in left field with at Salon Beach. And I, I, I think I pissed her off because I was telling her everything she was saying was incorrect. Mm. I said, do you really want me to be honest with you here? All that's false. That is all incorrect. And then she was like, who are you? Who am I? Right? Yeah, right. But it doesn't matter because I don't have Dr. Marion lab coat on. Mm-hmm. So who am I, this guy with a fit shirt on? I have nothing to, nothing to say about the mm-hmm. topic. So there has to be this area of expertise and then this, like, I don't know, this, this stature that you have. And, um, you know, that's how you compel people. But they, you have to get them to listen to you. I guess it's easier for me just because I, I'm a little bit more, I'm a little louder. I have a bigger presence and people will typically gravitate towards that Mm -hmm. versus I have a colleague who is way smarter than me, but he's really quiet and he talks, he's really smart though. And no one listens to him, but they should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. That's a good example. You know, that and your actions too. I mean, you're a fit guy. You can see that immediately, but like people would want to know if I'm going to hire you as my trainer. You look like a trainer or you look like someone who's in fit. You make it look like or but just by your actions alone, like, okay, this guy has proven that he's done whatever he said he's going to do. Right. You know, that's what I would well, people say. don't want to hear be people don't want you to be honest with them either, though. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I look like that guy? And they'll point to a trainer. Five years of training. Do you want to do that? Really? Mm-hmm. Let's start out three days a week and see how it goes. Yeah. But for how long, though? For as long <laughs> as you can afford it. Life. <laughs> Because that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. And I go, well, but, but I saw, I don't care what you saw. I don't care what you heard. This is 20 years experience, science, and actual hands-on experience. That's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then they go, okay. Well, that's like Olympic athletes have coaches. Professional athletes have coaches. They're, everyone's being coached at some level. Right. It never stops. Right. When you think of, again, when you think about the, the word coach, you are a behavioral coach, really. That's what got me interested in this whole thesis is that mm-hmm. doing it so long, and Jessica can attest to this, and every trainer really who's been doing it long enough can attest, it doesn't matter what I write you. 
doesn't matter if I write you the, the craziest workout ever designed on planet Earth, okay? And it has everything that was dialed in. Nutrition's perfect. Everything is perfect. You could look at it like it's nothing. It's like, like looking at a, a research project on, online. You mm-hmm. look at it, you're like, eh, this guy put in four years of his life or girl of this research, and you're looking at it like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. That's, we have to understand that. So as a coach, you are being judged off your knowledge of results and your knowledge of performance. And if you don't have those two things, it's going to be really difficult for you to change the behaviors of these people. Like you said, in right. this particular, what we're talking about today, I mean, would you say that a coach or accountability partner, I mean, it's a must to go through this model. Like it, it, it can't really exist. That's what I'm Absolutely. getting is the moral of the story is mm-hmm. find someone who's reputable as a guide or a coach, right? Yep. Who is constantly learning themselves too. Good point. Because when you're learning new stuff mm-hmm. and you're learning maybe like, oh, that, that really wasn't right, then you can dispel more. And you can help them more. So you should always be learning as a coach too. You're, just because you've got coach on your name doesn't mean you know everything. Right. So you need to also understand that you're going through the same process, even through your coaching evolution. Right, progressively or, learning, progressively getting better, being curious, being hungry for new information, acquiring new skills and mm-hmm. skill set and knowledge. and or learning how to deliver that information right. is even more important. That's what I learned to, in grad school. It right. doesn't matter if you're an expert. You have to learn how to teach people, mm. right? You're not just direct instructions. Mm-hmm. Look at that thing there and read it. Now give me a test. They don't know anything after that point. Mm-hmm. It's how you deliver it. I had medic Nick. school. I had a, a, one of my instructors was like, if you guys take one thing away, don't ever stop learning. Complacency will kill you. Absolutely. And, and it's just, that's always stuck with me. And as I look, reflect back on my career, I could see times where I fell into complacency, where I wasn't constantly striving to continually learning. Um, and that's one of my regrets, like looking back and, and not continuing to grow in certain areas. But I mean, now it's like I have this hunger and this thirst to learn more. That's, I mean, that was another reason why we started this podcast. It was to have people like you on. And, and so, so Jess and I can learn more about mm. what, what else is out there. And, yeah. you know, who, what are we going to learn about next week? And, and it's just, it's, you have to have that, that hunger, you know? Yep. Nick, do you read uh, books that yes. are not for your coursework? Yes. Free read? My favorite book, by the way, is The Biology of Belief. If you've ever read okay. a book in your life. Let me write that that down. is unbelievable. His name is Dr. Bruce Lipton, and it's an unbelievable book. It's based off of genomics, okay? Mm-hmm. So this guy, um, and it's on Audible, by the way. So I like to do Audibles as well as read. If I'm, like, in in traffic, I'm definitely doing Audible. Yes. So I don't Same. get road, road rage. But um, <clears throat> this guy, he's basically on the Human Genome Project, mm-hmm. which if you're familiar with the 23andMe and all that stuff, he was on that. And so what he discovered was he was a stem cell biologist at Wisconsin. And what he discovered was that if you – cells basically um, – it's almost like a, if we can't beat them, join them kind of thing in layman's terms with mm-hmm. cells. So if they're in a dominant environment, they become that dominant um, uh, strain of DNA, if you will. Meaning people are going to blame their genetics for a lot of their problems. I'm slow. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm this because my parents were. And there are certain tra- like physical traits you can't alter. Like 
And so like your eye color, for example, or your hair or whatever, your skin, you can't just basically think about having darker skin and all of a sudden it gets darker. But this guy's whole idea is that perception and environment can alter how your DNA expresses itself, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I highly, highly believe in that just because perception to me is everything. I yes. agree with that yeah. too. And so is environment, those two things. And I think that ties into the book thing because do you have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell? Mm-hmm. Outliers. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, Outliers. Yep. So I, I just um, read that, but I just finished reading The Tipping Point. Mm-hmm. It's another. I don't know if you've read it, but he talks on what makes uh, someone a really effective deliverer. That's not a word. Someone who delivers information well. Yep. And one of the biggest things is the stickiness, the level of stickiness. So how how was that information received, right, and perceived? to be interesting enough to remember, Yep. right? And that's like, you have to make concepts sticky to people. So that whether that's using an analogy that it relates to their own life or something that stands out and they've never heard before, that's yep. kind of this like wild, maybe outlier kind of thing, right? Right. Because that's what sticks. We need to find as teachers and coaches or as learners, something that sticks for us. So finding this level of stickiness that's gonna make you retain more information is really ideal, right? We Whether that's someone delivering their information who's persuasive, someone who's a maven who is an information specialist and knows so much about this topic, or someone who's who's even a connector, right? Someone yeah. who's able to connect you to the right sources of information. Mm-hmm. He always says that there's connectors, there's mavens, and there's salesmen. So get yourself involved with one of, with one of those people because that is how you're gonna retain the information you need to progress yourself forward. Sure. So w- however you connect with others, whether that's someone from, you know, who knows a shit ton about one thing, go there. If it's someone who's gonna get you there through someone else, go there, mm. right? And if it's someone who is gonna sell you based on credibility and rapport and reputability, go there. Yeah. So one size doesn't fit all, just try to receive information that's sticky that's gonna really stick with you. So to wrap everything up through the power of education and finding the right guides and coaches and enough grit to want to change your behavior, mm. This is all possible in every realm that you could be thinking of moving towards, right? Whether it's nutrition, movement, meditating more, you know, whatever that may be. There's so many different spaces you can obviously improve yourself. This model is for everyone. So becoming familiar with each step, just to reiterate, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Yep. Those five steps and following them and understand, and understand, not just following, understanding them and why they're important to the whole process is going to be a really integral part in you making those changes. Yes. So Nick, John, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Yes. Thank, thank you, you guys. Yeah. yeah. And something we ask all of our guests at the end is, Nick, how do you live zesty? And we define zest as, you know, having that spark for life. So what does that mean to you? I knew you guys were going to ask that. So <laughs> I think I wrote it down in my notes here. Read it off. Let's and hear it. it. As it, long it, as it's authentic. You know, I'm more, I'm about facilitating change, mm-hmm. similar to, you know, no pun here, but, and then provoking innovative ideas and strategies for people to make them a better version of themselves in whatever capacity they're in. Like, I don't just do fitness and stuff all the time. Like, I've consulted businesses to help them get better financially so they can make money so they can grow their business or, you know, an overweight client who's just trying to understand something or... I mean, even family members and relatives, if you can get them to understand something and then just leave it alone after that, mm-hmm. to me, now you're getting them on that path of, of maybe changing, but it's difficult. So for me, if, if, I can, if I can show someone or teach someone something and then like I see them a month or two or mm-hmm. a week later and they're like, hey man, I, I did that thing. And you're yeah. like, yes, right on. cool, right? I mean, I've got a guy still back home, an elderly gentleman I used to train 
when I moved, he was devastated. He was like, what the heck? And I gave him a program. I said, this is the easiest program you'll ever do in your life. I said, I want you to do your age in squats and push-ups and sit-ups and lunges every single day. And when I come back to visit you, we're going to go do it together so I know that you're still doing it. Mm-hmm. That's all he does. He still does it every single day. Anyways. Nick, thanks for being here. Hey, how do people get a hold of you? What can they do? Do you have social media, um, email? Yeah, I've got, be, I've got social go media. Uh, definitely come into all the fit clubs, you know. Mm-hmm. We've got five locations. But, um, um, yeah, they can reach me. My handle is NickMarion underscore MSP okay. for my old uh, uh, business, Marion Strength Performance. That's on Instagram? But, mm-hmm. yep. That's on Instagram. We'll, uh, we'll put that in our show notes for you guys. And that's about it. I don't have a, too many uh, other handles. I just use that one. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks again but for thanks being for here. Thanks for your time, guys. Yeah. Thank Appreciate you, Nick. It. Yep. All right. Stay zesty. Stay zesty.